people said. Yeah, there were some of us before. We need to all say it because the fact that we have a living Savior changes everything. I don't know what you're facing. Some of our people are facing some real serious things. But because he lives, you can face tomorrow. Some of you are facing insurmountable odds. People have said, oh, this will never be fixed. It'll never work out. And that's the way you kind of feel. But because he lives, changes everything. And when you think about all of that, that is why our faith and our doctrine and all of that is so important. That what you learn about God may not change your life now, but it will change everything when you come to a mountain you have to climb. It'll kind of change everything when there's a giant you have to face. Remember, David did not come up with, you know, Goliath saying, I'll feed your bones to the dogs. And David didn't go, well, I got a little secret here. You're not ready for a slingshot. That wasn't it, was it? You come against me with a spear and a sword. That's fact. But I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts. You know what he was saying? I've already won. I've already won. And that's the way you and I face everything in life in the power and the strength of the Lord. Let's go ahead and you can be seated and let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Lord, as we get ready to look into your word, we're asking you to open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things in your law. And sometimes as we look in the book of Exodus and some of these things, it's kind of hard for us to relate to it or to understand it. I pray that changes today. And I pray you would speak to us but I also want to pray, Lord, for people in the church that I know are struggling. Some with sickness, some with family issues, some with financial burdens, some with discouragement. All kinds of things that go on. But I also want to praise you and thank you, Lord, that I don't have to know everything. That the people who haven't said anything... And the people that are silently carrying their burdens are not alone because you're with them. And I thank you, Lord, that for all of us, whatever we face, it may be a mental problem. It may be an emotional problem. It may be a physical problem. It may be something that we carry for someone else. And it's big and it's serious and it's overwhelming. Until we say those words, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And as we think about you and your resurrection, it doesn't just mean you're aware of it. It doesn't just mean you have our back. It means you have given us power, as the Bible says, to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we ask or think according to the power that works in us, that Christ may receive glory in his church throughout all generations. Hallelujah to that. And we pray, Lord, that as you work in us, stir up within us the gift that you've given us and remind us of your mighty power and let us walk in your strength, pleasing you, honoring you, bringing glory to your holy name, and marching on and pressing on with endurance. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let the church say amen. 
Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning. Let's see. I used to know where we were. Oh, yeah, Exodus. Been in it for a while now, haven't we? <clears throat> turn uh, with me to the 27th chapter, and we'll look at the uh, first eight verses as we uh, go through this today. And we're going to talk about another piece of furniture, do a little furniture shopping here. Now, before we do this and talk about this bronze altar, you see a picture, an artist's uh, conception of it anyway, and uh, you think about the word sacrifice. Now, before we go any further, I'd like to talk about sacrifice. Whenever we talk about sacrifice in a modern sense, we talk about loss, don't we? You know, I had this thing, I sold it, but I sold it at a sacrifice, we might say. Um, even in baseball, when somebody uh, gets up to bat and they purposely hit the ball where they are going to be out, but the runner can score, we call it a sacrifice. Someone came to me one time and they said, Well, you know, preacher, if I didn't tithe, I could have a boat. You know what I told him? Sorry, Brother Dale. <laughs> Keep your money. Buy the boat. Because God's not going to bless you for giving like that anyway. And we don't need it. God takes care of our needs. We're not dependent upon you. He was doing kind of a backhanded jab at you do understand I pay your salary type thing. And uh, hey, listen. Anybody with that kind of an attitude is going to try to claim the blessings of being a giver? Uh, not going to go real well for them because God loves a... Ah, you got it. A cheerful giver. And so the term and the concept that we have of sacrifice is, I really wanted it, but I gave it up. And I'm doing without. Now, here's the problem with that. I'm speaking to slaves. Slaves of Christ. What does a slave own? Nothing. You see, here's the deal. As a slave, a servant of God, I don't own anything, so how can I give up anything that doesn't already belong to God? And so we think we're doing God this great big favor when He owns it all. He's the one that gave it to us. If you're able to earn an income, God gave you that ability. And I'm glad you do earn an income, and I hope you earn a better one. There's nothing wrong with that. But understand, it's for the glory of God, and God gave it to you. So today, I'm going to talk about, in the context of this altar, going to use the same word, sacrifice. But it's not going to be in terms of what I just described. We're going to think of it like this. It is an act of worship that is performed according to God's word and for God's glory. That's what we talk about and other verses that mention sacrifice. That's what it is. It's an act of worship. Why should you give today to the Lord? You should give as an act of worship and do it according to his word and you do it for his glory. Then blessings are going to be showered on you in ways that uh, will surprise you. It won't always be a monetary thing. There'll be a lot of other things that will come. God's promised that. 
Why is it that you should sing this morning? Well, it's embarrassing to come to church and not to sing. No, this is something that you ought to offer to God as an act of worship according to his word. The Bible does command us to sing. And we do it for his glory, not for how good we feel or not for what other people might think of us or anything like that. It is for his glory. Why do you witness? Well, sometimes we jump immediately so that people might be saved. Well, we do hope that and we do pray for that. But even if they don't, we should witness even to people that reject the message. Why? Because it's an act of worship. We're calling attention to our God. We should do it according to the Bible, not the latest gimmick that comes up, unless that gimmick is biblical. And we do it for the glory of God. Every time you witness for Christ, whether anybody gets saved or not, it's not a loss because God was glorified in that situation. And we can talk about that on and on and on and on and on. So if I'm an ancient Israelite and the tabernacle has been built, it's been set up, furnished, everything's in operation, and I would see the tabernacle proper, it's a tent. Doesn't look like much from the outside. There's some animal skin on the top, and there's some ram skin that's dyed red underneath that, and then underneath that there's goat's hair, and looks pretty much like any nomad would have. But oh, inside, glorious, beautiful, wonderful, dazzling, we might say. And, of course, it's a picture of Christ when he came here to earth. There was nothing, Isaiah says, that was uh, uh, physically drawing us to him. He looked like an ordinary human. Oh, but on the inside, the gold of his deity was shining. His perfection and everything that he was, the tabernacle and its furnishings, point to Jesus Christ. Jesus was not an afterthought. The incarnation was not something that God came up with because nothing else worked. It was always a part of the plan, and he testified of it all the way through the Old Testament. But here's the problem with the tabernacle. Unless I'm a priest, I can't go in it. It's the holy place. Now, in the holy place, there is the holiest place where only the high priest can go, and then only once a year. But only the priest could go in there. Well, what about me? I'm just an average, ordinary Joe. What can I do? Well, I can go into the courtyard of the tabernacle. And it's that big, you see a fence kind of around it. That's the courtyard. But there's only one way to go in to the tabernacle area. Just one way. See a little symbolism in that, don't you? And not only that, but when I walk into the gate of the tabernacle, the first thing I see is this altar. And it's a reminder that you can't worship God, and you can't get close to God, and you cannot have communion with God unless a sacrifice is offered on the altar. And it has to be the sacrifice that God demanded. What does that tell us about? Well, we're going to talk about it today. So let's go ahead and take our Bibles and turn to the 27th chapter of Exodus. We're taking these things not topically, but in order as they come and dealing with 
what shows up in the text. There's a lot more about these things we're talking about, but we're dealing with what is right here in our text. So Exodus 27, 1 through 8. You shall make an altar of acacia wood. We've heard about that wood before. Five cubits long and five cubits wide. The altar shall be square. And its height shall be three cubits. You shall make its horns on the four corners, on its four corners. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. And you shall overlay it with, well, not gold this time, but with, my translation says, bronze. Verse 3. Also you shall make its pans to receive its ashes. These sacrifices are going to be burned over a hot fire to the point of cremation, right? You shall receive its ashes, not to mention the ash from the wood that they would burn, and its shovels, well, that'll help too, and its basins, that's what they would collect the blood of the animal in, and its forks and its fire pans. And you shall make all its utensils of bronze. And you shall make a grate for it, a network of bronze, and on the network you shall make four bronze rings. We've heard that before with the other pieces. Four bronze rings at its four corners. And you shall put it under the rim of the altar beneath. That the network may be midway up the altar. And you shall make poles for the altar. Poles of acacia wood. And overlay them with bronze. And the poles shall be Put in the rings, and the poles shall be on the two sides of the altar to bear it. Remember, this whole thing is mobile. They're traveling through the wilderness. Verse 8. And you shall make it hollow with boards, as it was shown you on the mountain. You always have to do things the way God says to do it. And then it says something interesting. So shall they make it. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. Now, when you see this altar, and obviously the whole thing and everything about it just screams sacrifice, offerings, worship, atonement, redemption, all of those kind of things are in here. And when we talk about sacrifices, we want to think about these things. The sacrifice of Christ. We want to think about the living sacrifice we want to think about the sacrifice of faith, and we want to talk about the sacrifice of servanthood. All of those things, not us, poor me, giving up something I had, and now I can't have a boat because I was giving money to God. Think about that. And think about how many times we say, well, I'll do it, but only because God said it, but our hearts aren't really in it. What are we really saying about our worship and about our love for God? It ought to be willing and it ought to be free. And so here's what we want to talk about first. The sacrifice of Christ. This points to the fact that you and I, in order to commune with God, needed a sacrifice. Now you'll notice that uh, even if you were to read ahead, that whether you're going from the fence around the courtyard 
or this particular altar, they're made of different materials than inside the tabernacle. Oh, inside the tabernacle, I mean, we're talking gold, lots of gold, valuable gold, right? Valuable linens, valuable embroidery, all of those kind of things, just beautiful. The lampstand and the table of the showbread and all of that. But as you move out away, outside the camp, the metal is different. Certainly not as valuable. If you have a King James Version, it uses the word brass in here. That's an unfortunate translation. Brass was not uh, put into common use until the times of the Romans, long time after this. Um, the best we can figure out is bronze. Why would this big altar, this fire pit of sacrifice need to be made of bronze? Well, if you put this kind of heat on gold, it's going to melt. But if you put this kind of heat on bronze, it'll endure it. It'll make it through. It'll stay intact. And when we think about the sacrifice of Christ, and we think about bronze, something ought to kind of trigger our curiosity just a little bit. So when you look through the Bible, and you find this thing about bronze... There are some things that um, I noticed as I was looking through this. That bronze has to do, for example, with judgment. The Bible says when people were getting bit by the snakes in the wilderness, remember that? Moses made a serpent of bronze and held it up. And the serpent representing the curse and everything that was wrong in the world. And uh, they looked to that and they were healed. It has to do with judgment. Bronze also has to do with chastisement. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 28, 23, talking about the people and if they sin, you know what the heavens are going to become? Bronze. Prayers bounce off the ceiling, we say. Well, they certainly will if God makes it all bronze. It has to do with chastisement. It also has to do with inspection or appraisal. When Christ wrote to the uh, those letters, or had John write those letters to the seven churches, and some of those things, all but two of them, were rebukes. And what does John describe Christ as being like? It says, his feet were like bronze, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 15. But for our purposes, the main thing and the reason for bronze, because you can see those things in there, Christ was judged in our place, God's Hatred and fire and punishment toward sin was put upon him for us. But there's something else. Bronze has to do with the idea of endurance. Endurance. When you look in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 18, it says, And I, behold, I will make you this day a fortified city. Speaking to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, you're going to face a lot of opposition. I'm going to make you like a fortified city an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of this land. Jeremiah, this is going to be tough, but I'm going to make you tougher. Jeremiah, this is going to be hard, but I'm going to make you harder. Jeremiah, you're going to face opposition, but I'm going to make it so that the opposition is going to be unable to withstand you. And bronze is used 
as he describes that. And this leads us to the truth. Why the altar of acacia wood like the other things in the tabernacle, but this time overlaid with bronze? It's because Jesus is the only one who can endure the wrath of God on the cross. Anyone else that went to the cross, oh, they may have endured the cross to the point of death, but only Jesus could endure the judgment and the wrath of God in our place and come out on the other side intact. He's the only one that could do it. The bronze represents him. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hallelujah. Praise his name for that. He went to the cross, and God the Father was not saying, let's see if he can do it. He went to the cross, and the angels were not going, I hope this works out. He went to the cross to take the punishment for our sins. And as the bronze on the altar, he didn't melt, he didn't crumble, he didn't turn to ash. He endured it, brothers and sisters, so that he could come out on the other side as the victor over our sin, death, and hell. Because he lives, or because he endured the cross, we can face all of our tomorrows for eternity. Somebody should say amen to that, right? And so he is mighty to save, Arthur Pink says, because he was mighty to endure. He's the only one who could be the savior of your soul, the savior as punishment for your sins. Only Jesus, no one else could do it. No wonder he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Because when you want to enter into the Father's presence in the tabernacle, there's only one way in. And when you come in, you run into that bronze altar of sacrifice. And it reminds us of the sacrifice of Christ. But what about us? It also tells us of the living sacrifice. I notice in verse 3, it said that you shall make pans to... Notice here, receive its ashes. When you talk about something being burned to ashes, you're talking about pretty much a total sacrifice, aren't you? This has been given, it has been offered, and there's nothing left in this. That's the way God says that you and I are supposed to be on the altar of Christ as living sacrifices. It also said, you notice as you go down past the parts about the different utensils that were there. Um, it, it tells us that we're supposed to make these poles and rings so that this thing could be carried anywhere that the people of God went. And these two things remind me of something. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, right? And when I think about that, 
Somebody said one time, the only problem with living sacrifices is they crawl off of the altar. And I have a tendency to crawl off of the altar. So how many times do I offer myself as a living sacrifice? Daily? That'd be a good thing. But sometimes it doesn't last that long. Sometimes it might need to be hourly. Sometimes it may need to be even sooner than that. Because I have a tendency, when it gets hot, crawl off of the altar. This is not what I signed up for, we might say. And so I thought about this whole thing about being a living sacrifice. And that's the idea of total surrender to the Lord. Whatever His will may be, whatever path He may lead you down, whatever situation He may take you through, we take it under surrender to the Lord. You know, sometimes when we're moved, we lift our hands. And the Bible does talk about lifting your hands to the Lord. But did you know, most of the time, that's in prayer. It's in worship. There would be times when somebody would be preaching and people would lift their hands to the Lord. A little different than sometimes we do it now. And I found, um, now I can't remember where it is, senior moment. I found a verse that says, in one translation, we lift our heart with our hands. And it's as if when I lift my hands to God, I'm saying, here's my heart. Take it and use it for whatever honors and glorifies you. Take it and bronze it up, if need be, so that I can make it through this trial, so that I can endure it. The Bible says we're never going to be tempted above what we are able. But with it, God will make a way of escape. Whew! Well, and then I read the last part, and it kind of messes it up. That you may be able to endure it. The way of escape is God is going to take you through it and he's going to put bronze on you so that you're not burned up by the trial and you walk through the fire and you go through it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to go through the fire. But the amazing thing is God bronzed them up so that they were set free from their bonds in the fire but they themselves were not hurt and they came out and no hair was burned and they didn't even smell like smoke. Why? Because they found the way of escape. And what was the way of escape? Now listen up, child of God. Endurance. Endurance. You got to go through it. And the escape is when you get out of the fire on the other side. When you're out of the flood on the other bank. It's when you go through it that you escape. And God strengthens us and makes us better soldiers and better Christians as we go through all of this. This speaks of total commitment. It also speaks of this, the altar goes wherever we go. It's always a good time. When should I be a living sacrifice? There's never a bad time. It's always a good time to surrender. It's always a good time to offer up your life. It's always a good time to go before the Lord and to be that sacrifice before Him. And notice how he says in there, it's your reasonable service. That term service is actually having to do with worship. What the priest would do when they would go into those Old Testament altars. What is he saying? Offer your body to the Lord as a living sacrifice. Not only is it only reasonable in light of what Christ has done, 
but it also is your act of worship. The greatest thing you can do this morning at Graceway Baptist Church, above singing, above giving, and above praying, above enduring this message, the greatest thing you can do is to surrender your life to Jesus Christ as a living sacrifice as you go out and face your tomorrows. The third thing, there is the sacrifice of faith. Abraham is our example on that. As we think about verse 6, it talks about the poles and the altar and the uh, acacia wood, wood and more bronze. And then it talks about transporting this altar. Here's the point. Faith and the sacrifice of faith is not something that you leave at the church. It's not something that's just for the Roman Catholic idea is live any way you want, but go through the rituals and you'll be okay. The biblical idea is God is not impressed by your rituals. He wants your heart to be right. He wants you to trust him, to know him, and to commune with him, and to be cleansed by him. You still dealing with your sin? You still forsaking your sin? Because there's an altar right there. Oh, I've got to wait till I get back to the church next Sunday morning. No, you don't. The altar is always with you, being carried with you wherever you are. And it's always a good time to trust God. And to be that living sacrifice requires an enormous amount of faith. Everything in your DNA and everything in the world around you says, you've got to go for the gusto and you've got to make sure you take care of number one and it's telling you that you can't live like the Bible tells you to live or you'll never make it in this world. Well, that's where faith kicks in. And I notice that in Romans, Paul tells us we're to follow the example of Abraham who believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And I was listening to a message the other day and the speaker pointed out three things where Abraham was challenged in his faith. Number one, he was challenged in his faith when he was told to leave the land where he was raised, leave Ur of the Chaldees, and go to the land that I'm going to show you. He took the scene, he left the scene to follow after the unseen. And he left everything that was normal and natural and permanent. His family had probably been there for generations, left all of that behind to go and to follow the Lord. And as you think about doing that, think about how Abram went from being a person of stature in Ur of the Chaldees. What did he become after that? A nomad. Now, God did bless him, and he eventually became rich, but he never owned land again, uh, except for a gravesite. And he never really had any status in that promised land that he was one of those in Hebrews chapter 11 who died without receiving the promise. But God kept his word to his um, descendants, didn't he? And so Abraham, by faith, left the scene, what he could touch, what he could feel, what he understood for the unseen to follow God. You're called to do the same thing. Abraham was also called, after he was told he was going to have a son, he and Sarah were talking about it. And they said, it's going to be difficult to have descendants since we can't have children. And there must have been some suspicion that it wasn't a we. 
It was Sarah was barren. Abraham could father children. So Sarah, Sarah said, I've got this Egyptian handmaid. She's young, fertile. Take her. Then you can have a child, and then we don't have to have God be embarrassed. And so they did that, and they did it themselves, and the birth resulted in a boy that they named Ishmael. Well, back when God comes to say, this is what I'm going to do, and uh, I'm going to do what I promised in Genesis 17, after he says all of that, Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Why did he say that? It was his son. He loved Ishmael. He didn't want Ishmael just cast aside. Excited about Isaac, yeah. But he didn't want to. He loved Ishmael too. You know, there are times when God calls you to abandon all of those things that you did for God to try to help him out. You have to abandon those things that are just weighing you down. You have to abandon those things that are not productive in your life and are really not for the glory of God. See, Ishmael glorified Abraham, but it didn't glorify God. And all of us have these works of the flesh, things that we've done, maybe with some good intention, but it wasn't the will of God. It wasn't initiated by God. Jesus said, whatever is born of flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of spirit is spirit. And sometimes we don't need to look and say, is this right or wrong, good or bad? We need to say, who initiated it? Did this come from God or is this just from me? And God was calling Abraham to say, I made you a promise of what I am going to do. And you blew it by depending upon the flesh. And you've got to quit it. And you've got to get back to trusting me. That's a word for some of you. Maybe some of you listening by live stream. And the third thing that comes up is Isaac is born. And what happens in Genesis 22? God says, take your son, your only son Isaac, and offer him up to me. Wait a minute, God. He's the child of promise. And God says, yeah, but I want you to offer him to me. I never want Isaac to be more important in your life than I am. I never want you to take something I gave you and then hold on to it so tightly and make such an idol out of your Isaacs that you look away from God. Now we know the story. Isaac is laid down and God says, stop, do the child no harm. Here's a ram in the thicket. And it pictures us, we're the sinner, Isaac. And it pictures the substitute, the ram, that is Christ. The gospel is all through the Old Testament if you'll look. But here's the deal. Sometimes God may take in your life some things that he has given you. And if your affections and loyalty are tied too much to them, he might even say, are you going to give them back to me? I'm the one that gave them to you. Sometimes preachers have to give their ministry back to God. I've been so busy trying to make it work and hold on to it and to perform right and to do what's best for the ministry. I've forgotten it's not my ministry, it's yours. I give it back to you. Sometimes you have to do that with a mate. Sometimes you have to do that with children. Sometimes you have to do that with a job. Sometimes you have to do that with your retirement. Sometimes you have to do that 
with your time and your energy and all of that. It all belongs to God. And so there is the sacrifice of faith as we give up the seen for the unseen and give up our Ishmaels and give up our Isaacs for the glory of the Lord. But the last sacrifice, this act of worship, is the sacrifice of servanthood. Sacrifice of servanthood. Notice in verse 8, You shall make it hollow with boards as it was shown to you on the mountain. In other words, it's always got to be God's word, God's way, not your way. Don't make any improvements. Don't change it. But then this struck me. So shall they make it. Got to thinking about that. Somebody had to make the bronze. Probably wasn't Moses. Somebody had to go get the acacia wood. Somebody had to take the acacia wood and, and make it to where it could be poles or the box or anything like that. Somebody had to coat it with the bronze and do it well. Somebody, even after it was put into use, they had to gather the firewood for burning the sacrifices. Somebody had to clean up the ashes. All of these things were things that they shall do. You don't leave it to Moses. You don't leave it to somebody else. You ask God, what is it that I can do? I'm giving you my life, my time, my talents, my abilities as an act of worship according to your word for your glory. And it may turn out that God says, make a meal. Take it to somebody who's sick or grieving. It may say that God says, take your checkbook and give an offering and meet a need. God may say, take your time and go out to that person that you know is lost and take time to pray with them and share the gospel with them. These are the things that we sacrifice, not as a, oh, look at me and all I've given up for God. No, you don't own anything, remember? This is what you do for the glory of God according to his word, and as an act of worship, isn't it? Well, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16, Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. These done as an act of worship according to his word and for his glory are the sacrifices. Not a ritual, not a sense of loss, but I am honored as a servant of God to give this to God as an act of worship according to his word and for his glory. Christ endured the worst for us, that we might glorify God by showing the same quality. And I'll close by reading Hebrews 12, 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. What's the discipline doing? God is bronzing you up for whatever trial, whatever furnace you're going to face. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. 
For the time is coming when people will not endure, they're not bronzed up enough for sound doctrine. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Why? They're not enduring. 2 Timothy 4, 5. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure or be bronzed up for your suffering. And do the work of an evangelist. And fulfill your ministry. You know why America's in the shape it's in today? Because a lot of Christians, maybe for several generations, just haven't been tough enough to endure and to go through the fire. And so we quit. We run out. We make our own way of escape. And now we find ourselves where we are. Well, what are we going to do about it? We can't fix what other generations have done, can we? Well, maybe we can. And maybe it's when we see what Christ endured for us in this picture of the bronze altar that we realize He is the strength so that we can endure whatever may be coming our way without compromise and without just failing and abandoning the cause, but renewing ourselves today. We are the people of God. We have been redeemed by the supreme sacrifice of Christ. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. We have on His armor to walk forth, and we are going to walk in the train of His triumph in the victory already won for us. How can you lose when you understand what God has done, what God is doing, and what He will do in your life for His glory? God is bronzing you up for something powerful and something wonderful for His glory. Heavenly Father, those who have not trusted Christ have absolutely no way to endure the things of this world. I pray for them, we pray for them, that they might repent of their sins and put their trust fully in Jesus Christ. But Lord, I pray for those of us who have done that, where did we ever get the idea that God saved us and now he doesn't care about anything else? He's a loving father who is working to get the junk out of our lives so that we can be pure before him. As we sang in that hymn, thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. Thank you, Lord, that you are putting the bronze touch on us so that we're no longer wimps caving in to every wind and wave of doctrine, no longer giving in to a little bit of peer pressure or anything like that. But we're able to be like mature believers, like men who go into battle and they fight and they persevere and they come out on the other side victorious. That's what we pray for. Forgive us, please. Be patient with us, please. Be merciful with us, please. But don't let us leave this room without your power. And don't let us leave this room without understanding who we are, what you've called us to do, and that that altar is always with us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for enduring 
the cross. Give us that spirit of endurance. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.